Hello, my name is Aida Peary and I'm here at Street Sense Media. Um, I'm going to be interviewing Comrade Cheek this October 21st and I'm going to be asking him some series of questions. Hi Comrade, how are you doing? Okay, how are you feeling today? Pretty good. Yes, um, Comrade, I'd like to ask you some things about your childhood and your early life in school. Uh, when and where were you born? I was born here in Washington, D.C., in Washington Hospital, as it was called. Um, and, and let's see, May 15th, 1954, I was born into a family of Dr. Conrad Cheek, Sr., who I wrote an article about. Uh, it's called The Unsung African American Hero. My father was a brilliant man. And uh, he was responsible for safely disposing of the United States arsenal of chemical weapons. He found that, now how do you get rid of chemical weapons? You can't bury it in the backyard. It will be in your well water. You can't throw it in a river because it will poison the next town. But he devised a safe way of disposing of the United States arsenal of chemical weapons. Okay, could you describe the area in the city, the town you grew up in? I grew up in Benning Heights. That's uh, at the time in 1956 when they bought the house for $19,000. Um, they, the half of the block was developed, and the other half was uh, actually uh, woods. And in 1960s, they built houses with garages to finish out the block. But I was there before because those are the woods I used to play in. Okay. Did you grow up with any siblings? Um, actually, my parents had six children. Okay. I, I was the second of the litter, as you might call it, or whatever. You know, I was the second oldest. I had an oldest sister. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, what are some of your best memories from childhood? Some of my best memories are going to Catholic school at uh, Our Lady Queen of Peace. Um, and they had nuns there, and I, I'm going to going to school, and um, also knowing that I was loved by my parents. Okay, knew I grew up in an environment where my parents loved me, and they took very good care of me. What are some of the challenges you faced while growing up? The challenges? Well, actually, I didn't have a lot of challenges mm -hmm. in my childhood, okay? Uh, I can't recall any of them, okay? Uh, maybe later in life, I began to realize that I'm not very well at understanding what people think because I grew up in such a sheltered environment uh, I wasn't around the rotten things of life, mm. okay? I mean, you, there was no, like, uh, some things like um, were part of a club or anything as a child growing up, well, after school programs. Well, as a child programs. growing up, I, I used to, uh, well, my dad taught me how to play chess when I was seven years old, and I was undefeated champion of 
of the chess uh, club in junior high school and high school. And the actual teacher couldn't, the person f facilitating the chess couldn't beat me playing chess. Oh, see, those are, some good, those are good memories, right? Yeah, well, actually, yeah, good memories mm -hmm. because really, like I said, I was undefeated champion through junior high school and high school. Okay, that's great. Did you do anything else besides chess? Did you play in sports or Well, actually, um, over the course of my lifetime, I had taken piano lessons uh, first, and then I, uh, when I was in school, um, I think junior high school, uh, I took up the clarinet, and then when I was in high school, uh, I took up violin so I would have a, cor a course with a, a good friend of mine when I was going to McKinley Technical High School. Oh, okay. Hi, right, so that's great. So since you were born in D.C., um, you said you, you, the part of the city that you grew up in, was the name of, what was the name of it again? The school? No, the city that you, you the part I was of. born and raised here in Washington, D.C. Oh, D.C., okay. Yes. Okay, I thought there was another name that you came out with, like uh, you got Petworth and then you got Berry Farms. And well, actually, Benning Heights. Benny Heights. Okay. Benning Heights, yes. Okay, Benny Heights, okay. What changes have you seen happen both where you grew up and in the city as a whole? Well, like I said, the changes I noticed was uh, they developed the other half of the um, block, and also they put in the low-income housing um, on uh, where Alabama Avenue and uh, G Street, they put in the low-income housing, and that's when all of the white people moved out of the neighborhood, mm -hmm. okay, because really we were like the third, second or third African-American family to move in to that block. Oh, so you're saying that there was white people that used to live in Benny Heights? Oh, it was predominantly white mm -hmm. when I was a child, mm -hmm. okay? But as, and um, we had a sandbox in our backyard, okay? Um, and I had, um, as a child, across the alley, you know, in our backyard, there's an alley, and then there was this area where there was a whole lot of flowers. Uh, the people who live back behind me, the same type of house, um, the homes, they uh, they had a garden back there, and we used to catch insects, or capture insects, you know, and, and uh, what I did was with the sandbox, I invented, uh, I walked around the block and collected popsicle sticks, and I made little coffins out of them, and uh, we would bury, bury the, uh, in, insects in, in the coffins in the sandbox, okay? And so what happened was, uh, we about two days later, we or two or three days later, we said, oh, yeah, let's go dig up those those coffins, right? So then when we dig it up, uh, well, honeybee, he's dead. Uh, moth is dead. Grasshopper is dead. But then we opened up the coffin, and there was a bumblebee. The bumblebee came flying out. And everybody started running. My brother, younger brother, <laughs> didn't run fast enough, and he got stung. <laughs> okay, but anyway, I've invented things all of my life. Okay, also invented this with a popsicle stick. I invented this box where, where it had it had uh, 
six uh, chambers um, that we could store the bugs in, and then the center center of it was an open spot where we could let the bugs down in there and, and shake it up and watch them fight. Okay, so anyway, um, that was just a part of me, what I used to do, okay? Mm -hmm. And then, uh, so anyway, I remember doing that. Um, what else, what, 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 what did you ask me? Okay, yeah, I was asking what changes have you seen happen? Like, oh. like just like, you know, like, you grew up and been in Heights. Right. Have you seen any change including the whole city of D.C. have changed from the time you were a child up until you're an adult. What has changed? What has changed? Mm -hmm. um, the environment has changed, okay, because really it became an African-American uh, neighborhood as opposed to um, when I was a child. I remember Akita and Mako, there, there were two Chinese uh, or Asian mm -hmm. children, and they had a way of way of speaking, which uh, we used to make fun of. And I remember saying, hey, Marco. Gosh, I, I forgot what we asked him to say. And he would say, he would say it in a funny way, and we'd say, well, we would just ask him this question. I forgot what the question was, okay? Okay, anyway. so I was wondering, has there anything changed today than when you were growing up in your neighborhood, other than that white folks have left, they you have Actually, uh, things got a little, with the low-income housing, um, I've been robbed maybe three times at gunpoint, okay? Uh, only within the last three or four years, mm. okay? Uh, that's the big change. I was just really surprised. I walked down to the store and I'm coming back with some milk and some cookies and somebody sticks a gun in my face and tells me, you know, I only had a dollar. <laughs> and they couldn't find a dollar on me, so I had to pick it out of my wow. watch pocket. Okay. But I only had one dollar, okay? And I used food stamps to get my, my, my um, the milk and cookies or whatever. Anyway, it's uh, really... It got bad for a little while, but then, it, then things stopped, okay? Wow, you're lucky you didn't get shot. Well, actually, I'm not going to fight anything. With I mean, these people out here, especially in D.C., they're ruthless. Well, some of them are, okay? But actually, I don't know what it is about me, but uh, people didn't decide to shoot me, okay? Mm -hmm. That's it's a good like, thing. Just as um, when I was kidnapped, carjacked, and I stole my car back. Mm-mm. Okay, the situation was, uh, I mean, I was watching somebody's house, watching a house that w was under construction when I, was, I started doing electrical work, okay? Because mm -hmm. I had done the electrical work for that house. And the person who hired me to help him do roofing owed somebody some money. And these guys come down the street looking for him when I, when I got back to the house, and he told me, uh, look, uh, um, if anybody asks for me, tell him I'll, I'll see him tomorrow. Mm. He didn't get paid that day. And they owed him $3,000. Wow. Okay, because he was doing a roofing job. He didn't get paid that day. And these guys insisted on me taking me where I dropped him off. And I'm not gonna, look, I had my car. They took my car. Mm. 
and he pulled the gun on me and took my car. So what you're saying is that when you were growing up, it no, wasn't no, a lot of crime. After, after I, I was already grown up. Okay, I mean, I was, uh, the article is in, in the paper, kidnapped. Mm-hmm. Okay, if you look it up. Mm-hmm. You know, I was kidnapped. So you're saying that from the, when you were a child in your neighborhood, right. it, it wasn't a lot of crime as it is today. No, uh-uh. okay. no, no, not that. But I've led, I've led a sheltered life. Mm-hmm. Okay, I basically, I didn't have to go with six kids. Okay, I didn't really have to intermingle with the people outside of my home. There's plenty of entertainment there at home. So I've spent most of my time at home in a sheltered life. Okay. Yeah. So your other siblings also lived a sheltered life? Uh, yes, if, they, if they're in that house, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, my parents put a swimming pool in the backyard when I was 17 years old. I was already a uh, lifeguard by, mm-hmm. by then, okay. And, so, and my sister also, my sister that's uh, two years younger than me, she also became a lifeguard. They put the swimming pool in the same year that um, that the Fort DuPont swimming pool opened, mm-hmm. okay? And that first year, I was in charge of the locker room. Mm-hmm. The second year, um, 1972, the summer of 72, I was a lifeguard. Oh, that's great. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, are there any places that stand out to you in your memory? You know, anything? What stands out to me? Mm-hmm. Capitol Hill. Okay. Because uh, my first apartment, I, I, when I was working at Sibley Hospital, I mean, not Sibley Hospital, Arlington Hospital, back uh, after I had finished uh, my degree at George Washington University, mm-hmm. I was a certified electronics technician. Mm-hmm. Okay, medical specialist. Okay, okay. I, my job was to repair electrocardiographs, defibrillators, mass spectrometers. I mean, not mass spectrometers back then, but anyway. Um, I, now I'm, I, I, for 18 years, I repaired medical instrumentation. I was the first African American to work at UCLA Medical Center's biomedical engineering department. Mm-hmm. Okay, they called the department clinical engineering then, and it's maybe still now, okay? If I was still on that job, I'd be making, like two years ago, I'd been making $55 an hour, Mm -hmm. okay? But they fired me. Well, the situation was this. I was the only certified biomedical engineering technician at UCLA Medical Center, and biomedical engineering is not like housekeeping. Housekeeping, you mop the most floors, you can be the director. But in biomedical engineering, the most qualified mm-hmm. should be the director. So I became uh, a threat when the director left. So they had to either meet, the job became available when a car care member of the KKK retired at 70 years old. So what happens is, that's when the job became available, okay? So he still had an influence. He had been harassing this white guy who took care of the neonatal intensive care unit mm-hmm. because he had a, this white guy had a black wife. So he had been harassing him, okay? 
So anyway, when I started at UCLA, everyone there had a primary area of responsibility, about 10 departments, you have primary area of responsibility, and then they backed up 10, pe uh, 10 spots, about 10 spots. I started at primary area of about 11 spots, but I was backing up 44 departments, okay? And then they had me work, being, being the first black person to work, work in that department, they had me working from Sunday through Thursday. So anyway, I kind of turned it around on my, on Thursday, I said, have a nice weekend, fellas. <laughs> so, so anyway, it was strange, because really, then when they hired some more people later on, you know, in, in the six and a half years I was there, about four years later they hired some other people, no one had to work that schedule Sunday through Thursday. Okay. There was just discrimination right from the, the very onset. Mm, okay. So, um, are there any restaurants or stores that are no longer here but you miss? Not that I can think of right off the bat. You know, um, stores that I, I miss. No, uh, no. Okay. How and when did you first hear about Street Sense? Well, what happened was after I was sleeping in my car after I was kidnapped, carjacked, and I stole the car back. Mm -hmm. I was sleeping in my car for about two or three months, and during that time, I began to go to, someone had told me that uh, you can go to George Washington University where I, I got my degree uh, and to eat breakfast. And so I was eating breakfast at this, like 24th and Virginia Avenue in Northwest, mm -hmm. and uh, the guy there, the guy in charge of security, his name was Fred, I believe, um, he told us a, a new paper's gonna really start up. This was like three three months after I had stole the car back. I was I'd been sleeping in my car. I wouldn't stay with my parents because their address was on the registration. Mm -hmm. And if they, like I said, if I couldn't stay with them because if they came there and were trying to take taking the car, and my parents saw it, uh, if they did something to my parents. I would have resorted to some very serious violence against mm -hmm. them. So and to avoid that, I just slept in my car, all right? So anyway, um, this guy said that this paper was going to start up uh, when I was eating breakfast. Sometimes I would help them clean up after after the people had left or whatever. And so his, his, Fred became the vendor manager, the first vendor manager for Street Sense. Who? Fred, this guy who was security. <laughs> For the um, for uh, for the place I was eating breakfast, okay, mm -hmm. and so one day I happened to get out of my my uh, my car and I walked around to the front of a right where the CVS is right there on CVS at Seventh and Pennsylvania Avenue Southeast, and I saw Fred out there. He had the paper, mm -hmm. and so uh, I went and signed up. I'm vendor number 23, the Michael Jordan of selling the paper. Okay? Mm -hmm. So anyway, I used to say that, but then I turned out to be the Michael Jordan of selling the paper. I got to the point where I was selling more than a thousand papers a month. Mm. Okay? Um, in fact, they started publishing the numbers in January. January said that I had sold 1,100 papers in, in December. And in February, they said I sold 1,200 papers in January. 
and then 1,000 in February, mm-hmm. short month, right? <laughs> and then back to 1,100, 1,200, whatever, okay? Mm-hmm. And the guy, but then of the, the next three people, next guy sold 600, next person maybe 200, and then 200. It turns out that I'd sold more. They kept on telling me I was a high volume salesman, right? But mm-hmm. uh, I sold more than the next three people. But the guy who was number two, mm-hmm. it took him six months to sell 10 papers less than me. In the seventh month, he sold more papers than I did. So he told me, he was telling me right here at the Street Sense office, he was a better salesman than me. I said, look, man, I never competed with you. He said, no, I'm a better salesman. I, I sold more papers than you. I said, I never competed with you, mm-hmm. okay? So then he kept on insisting he was a better salesman. I said, look, man, if I competed with you, I would have gotten up before one thirty in the afternoon, okay? And then he be- began to realize, I only sell the paper three hours a day, prime time, okay? And, and I'm selling it more than a thousand papers a month in the three hours a, a day that I was working, okay? So mm-hmm. anyway, full move. So now this guy's name was Mark, I believe. Anyway, uh, he realized the people that here at Streets and told, we never see Conrad before two or three o'clock in the mm-hmm. afternoon. <laughs> he sleeps till one thirty. Okay, so how long have you been working with um, Street Sense Media? Um, I sold the first issue of the paper. Mm-hmm. I'm vendor 23. Okay. Okay, I, I started back in 2000, November, uh, maybe around November 18th or 19th, maybe the 20th, okay? The paper is only five days old, okay? And it should come out once so a month. So are you saying that Street Sense has been in existence since the year 2000? 2003. Um, November 15th was the first day that they opened up. Okay. Okay. Right. And the paper will come out once a month for the next two years. Okay. Okay. And then it started to come out semi-monthly. And then they went to bi-weekly. Mm-hmm. And now it's once a week. Mm-hmm. So um, how has working with Street Sense Media impacted your life? Well, actually, it gave me, within a year... I was selling enough papers to rent a room mm-hmm. um, on a nightly basis from someone who was in need of money. It might be $10 a night, $15 a night, depending on the amenities. Mm-hmm. I, I spent as much as $20 a night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the amenities, I have my own room with a TV, okay, and cable. Yes, I'll pay 20, I would pay $20 because really on a daily basis I would make about $60, $70 in those three hours, okay? And also, uh, I w- being on Capitol Hill, I would, I would sell some papers, go into a bar, have a drink, go out to smoke a cigarette, walk down the street and come back with about 20 bucks within that hour, mm-hmm. okay, because I was well known. Right. I'm semi-famous on Capitol Hill. Is there something you wish more people knew? Oh, in what different ways are you or have you been involved with Street Sense Media? Actually, um, it was very interesting. Um, we had a poetry th- thing over at the Busboys and Poets. I actually performed and, and read my art, my poem called The Upper Echelon of the Homeless. Now, it starts out like this. I'm the upper echelon of the homeless. I don't loiter or beg. 
If you've ever seen me working, you may ponder what I said. I'm a hard-working homeless man who doesn't panhandle for a pence. Because homeless isn't helpless when you have street sense. <laughs> I sell poetry in street sense. Some say that it's the best. But the interest in the articles, it may be the key to its success. When I've been in the afternoons, the papers usually sell. The employees and patrons of Starbucks have always treated me well. And there's the hot dog lady. She always greets me with a, greets me with a smile. I don't know how long she's been there, but she's been there for a while. Many people smile, take the paper, and hand me a bill, including the most beautiful women on Capitol Hill. Now, many of you have seen me when I break for a meal. Many of you may wonder, what is the deal for a delicious Reuben sandwich and Mr. Henry's I'll have a seat? Or a tasty roast beef sandwich from Kosi, I will eat. I'm the upper echelon of the homeless. I don't order a bag. If you ever seen me working, you may, no, ever heard me working, you will know what I said. I'm the upper echelon of the homeless. I don't order a bag. Well, anyway, I ended the thing with, uh, but I pull out the money and said, Homeless didn't help when you have, I pull out the bills and say, street cents. That's how I end, end the poem, okay? Mm -hmm. Anyway, the one that I do on the street. But really, there's 20 stanzas. Originally, the poem had 10 stanzas. It was too big to get into the paper. So I had two weeks, and I added 10 more stanzas to it, okay? And so anyway, I talk about a lot of different things in, in that. Oh, one of the things, one of the stanzas is this. To the unknowingly homeless, I must say this piece. The government considers you homeless if your name is not on a lease. One guy read that and he realized he was homeless and he didn't know that he was homeless. He's staying with someone else. He went and got his own. But just that one stanza made him realize he was homeless. Hmm. He was the unknowingly homeless. Hmm. Forward move. Next question. Okay. Is this something you wish more people knew about Street Sense Media or your work with Street Sense Media? Well, actually, uh, there are things, there have been positive and negative things that I've experienced here at Street Sense. Okay. Um, originally, there was uh, the two co-founders, okay, but one of the co-founders is no longer, doesn't seem to be with us anymore. His name was Ted Henson. But this woman named Laura, uh, I got my problems with her, all right? She owes me $400, all right? She what? She owes me $400. Mm -hmm. I mean, the first time we did, they wanted to do a survey of the people that buy street sense. Uh, I asked her, well, what do I get if I get the most responses? He tells me $200, right? So anyway, I got 220 responses. There were only 400 responses. Mm -hmm. So I got, got the most responses. So I'm expecting her to give me $200, and she didn't do it. Mm -hmm. And then another situation happened where, oh, the people... Century 21 in, my, in the neighborhood I worked worked in. They, um, the guy, there's an Asian guy, he asked me, uh, well, look, uh, could, he wanted to help me out. 
but in doing so, he could write it off if he he made an ad advertisement in the Street Sense. So, anyways, he advertised in Street Sense, and he canceled because I wasn't getting the money. Laura was pocketing the money. Okay, and and he canceled. So, anyway, she said, "Well, you know, he canceled." I, I said, "Well." Um, because I wasn't getting the money. She said, well, you know, you didn't, you didn't fill out the paperwork. I said, well, how much would I have gotten if he had finished the thing out? $200. So that's the second $200, okay? She, I, uh, he wouldn't have canceled if I was get, getting the proceeds from, from selling, selling the advertisement, okay? Anyway, so anyway, she doesn't want to see me because she knows she's guilty, mm -hmm. right? And, Ted isn't around, doesn't seem to be around anymore, and he was a decent guy, mm -hmm. okay? But Laura, you know, what should I say? Okay, well, so how is G-Sense Media important to you since Laura or Ted Downson is no longer here? Well, it's not very important to me because they changed the, 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 the rules, okay? I used to have priority over um, Eastern Market. Okay, because I developed that. There, the people wouldn't be there if I hadn't really uh, built it up to where I was getting a thousand, selling more than a thousand papers a month. Nowadays, oh, since this new director showed up and he came up with this thing, whoever gets there first, well, quite frankly, nobody's been there before me. Okay, right. and whoever gets there first, people say, well, look, I, I was here first. Oh, well, look, I've, I've been told people, you're six years late to be here first. And now they're 19 years late to be there first. But the point of the matter is, if whoever gets there first, and I don't get out of bed till 1.30, okay, and some people will, will get out there early in the morning and, and just stay all friggin' day, okay? Mm -hmm. But, uh, I can't sell a thousand papers a month with uh, with this sort of situation. I mean, something. I mean, really, a guy from Texas told me, "Look, uh, claim jumping—that's a hanging offense." <laughs> yeah, you're talking about Eastern Market. Yeah, it yeah, was well, it was really congested over that's there with vendors. Right. Yeah, but you used to come through. I used to be there early in the morning with um, Cat in the Hat with Philip Black, and um, mm -hmm. I couldn't believe he wanted me to get up at 3 in the morning just to be out there by 4, and there ain't nobody out there at that hour. The stores know. are not even open. Yeah, and, I don't know. Uh, that was ridiculous. Well, actually, I, I left Cat in the Hat. When I had to go, I had to... Something happened at my parents' house. After my father had passed away, I went over to see my mom one day, I happened to go down in the basement, and I noticed that this room where the, the dryer and the, you know the utilities, the hot water heater, mm -hmm. and the air conditioning system, the room was wet, and everything that could hold water was full of water. Mm. And I, 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 there's no pipes there. I'm, I'm thinking, where is this water coming from? And so I, I went upstairs, and when I came back down. The sump pump had turned on, and it was spraying water all over the room. So anyway, I said I got to move back in with my mother. Okay, and I took a job working with some furniture company, uh, family furniture. Okay, mm -hmm. I took a job making 
and when I fill out the application, I say, yeah, I make about $20 an hour selling the paper, right? So why would you want this job? It's only paying $7 an hour, minimum wage. I said, look, I don't care what you pay me, okay? I just need to be working for someone else in order to be at my mother's house. So they pay me $7 an hour and I, you know, and the hell with it. I, I'm there, I'm here for my mother, okay? And so I, I repaired the, the problem with the sump pump and um, and I, I was there to take care of the house, mm -hmm. period, okay? Mm -hmm. And so I, I took minimum wage just to do it, but I asked Cat and Hat to take over for me. Mm -hmm. That's why the Cat and Hat was there, mm -hmm. okay? Because I asked him to take over Eastern Market. But when I show up, the Cat and Hat has the respect to let me have my time. Because I'm, I'm not going to get there till maybe 3, three o'clock in the afternoon. Right. Okay? And for that one hour, two hours, that's all I'm going to be there. Cat and Hat, you know, he does what he does. Okay? Right. But I, I, I'm glad I left it to him because he still has the respect. Mm -hmm. To say, well, hell, yeah. I mean, all, all, all of these people coming down here, you know, when they started publishing the numbers, okay, and they showed that I, I sold $1,100, all of a sudden people started flocking down to Eastern Market, mm -hmm. okay, and uh, give me a hard time when I, when I come up and start to sell my papers, they say, well, I was here first, you know, come on, get out of here, right? I mean, you're, you're not here during the week, oh, so you're going to come out here in the weekend. Ridiculous. Okay, so when was the first time you experienced homelessness? Um, when I lost my apartment on Capitol Hill, my second apartment on Capitol Hill. The first apartment I had was at Tenth and um, Independence. Okay, um, I remember it was two hundred eight Tenth uh, Street. This was before when I was working at Arlington Hospital. I lost that job, and uh, I, I. I drove to California after that, okay, and got another job. Because really, when we all graduated, we kind of filled up the spaces for biomedical engineering, okay. Anyway, I went to Los Angeles. Uh, my first, that was my first experience of being homeless, but then I, I drove to California. Uh, but really, homelessness, um, later on, I when I came back, I got in an apartment on Capitol Hill uh, at, uh, what is it, what is it, um, 9th and, what is it, I Street? I guess it's 9th and I Street, okay? And it was a corner apartment. My next door neighbor was a white guy who I, I'm going to have dinner with this evening, okay? Because uh, when I was sleeping in my car, I had no way of cooking food, so I would go to the wharf and get some seafood and I'd go over to his house and I'd cook it and, you know, we, we've been doing this since, uh, gosh, I guess 2004, okay? So we've been getting together every Friday since 2004. He saw me, oh, in 1992, um, it was a big freeze, the high temperature of the day would be about 23 degrees for a week, okay? And the pipe underneath my, that fed my hot water heater came from his house, his hot water heater, to my house under, under he saw me tear open the floor, uh, replace the copper pipe, and then connect up the, uh, the outdoor spigot 
mm-hmm. and with, with a drain thing so I could drain it, you know. And uh, he saw me do that, and I've been doing all the maintenance on this house ever since, practically all of it. When was the first time you experienced homelessness? Um, I really experienced homelessness uh, a couple of times in my lifetime. Um, first time was uh, when I lost my job at Arlington Hospital, and when I used to live at uh, 10th and Independence, okay? And uh, then I drove to California later that year, and so I, I worked at UCLA Medical Center eventually, and um, I, they had to either make me the director or get rid of me. So, of course, me replacing a car care member of the KKK, uh, I didn't know how many other people of the 11 white people that were working there were, were, had been in the Klan. It, it doesn't matter, because they got rid of me, okay? Anyway, so this is the second time I've experienced homelessness, but I just drove back home here to Washington, D.C. And so anyway, I, then I lost my job at Sibley Memorial Hospital. Um, I, my things were being thrown away. I, I, I was able to get a storage spot to put my furniture in. I paid $5,000 for some furniture, a bedroom set, okay? And um, so anyway, I was back to sleep in my car. I had a Volvo at that time. Okay, Volvo 164E. I used to do all the maintenance on it. Anyway, um, as time passed, okay, I, I did some odd jobs working with a, what is that, a day labor, okay, and then I joined, I went and started working as an electrician since I know a lot about electricity with my field. I mm-hmm. understand electricity. I used to have to work on things that had high voltage in them, like the old television with the big long back um, for every inch diagonally is a thousand volts in there anyway uh, yes uh, I was homeless and sleeping in my car then okay and, and then I ran into an old friend of mine from high school and I started staying with her for a little while and, I, and then she um, referred me to her brother and I was staying with him for, for a while anyway yes I've, I've been homeless you know, a couple of times in my life, maybe mm-hmm. three times. So what is something that you want people to know about your story that you think is often misunderstood? Um, just because a person is homeless doesn't mean that they don't have any value. Pardon me? Just because a person is homeless does not mean that they have no value, okay? Because mm-hmm. there's a strange feeling that I, I would get. And, uh, and being around homeless people they feel like they're undervalued and, you know, mm-hmm. and whatever, and uh, they know that they have some value, okay? It's just that they're in a situation where they can't or are not in a position to make the kind of money that they used to make. Right, exactly. Okay? Mm-hmm. Right, indeed. So anyway, just as I was working with this electrician, he had a problem with one of the lights in the ceiling but he didn't know how to troubleshoot it. Mm-hmm. And I'm, he's sitting there, he's not paying me all my money. So I'm gonna sit there and just, just watch him. <laughs> I'll watch you troubleshoot it. But compared to him, I'm a master at troubleshooting because I, I know. And then when you know, you know, mm-hmm. okay? So anyway, 
I've solved problems that other people wouldn't touch, okay? That next door neighbor of mine, whose house I'm going over this evening, uh, I've done all kinds of stuff for him. In fact, his next door neighbor didn't like me because she, I'm black and somebody down the street had gotten raped. Okay, a, a white woman had gotten raped and she kept on saying that I did it. And I'm going, no way, all right? But she let me take a shower over at house, her house because I saw her and she had hit some other car and I told the people, well, look, I know a place where you can get this done for like about $200. She gave them $200, she let me take a shower. I come out of the shower and I'm, I'm heading out and this other guy comes over, and he's the one who raped her, okay? But the neighbor down, the, just said, oh, that black guy, he, he raped somebody, okay? And so I was painting this guy's house, the house I'm going to tonight. Mm -hmm. And um, the woman said, he put out an email to everybody in the neighborhood, if you see him on my, on my roof, call the police, because he had no permission. So I had all winter to figure out a way to paint the, paint the side of his house without stepping on her house, okay? And so, yeah, I designed a way to do it. I had all winter to figure it out. So I painted the side of his house from the roof. Had a straight line down there, designed a, something to catch the paint, right? And it also had a, a, a line there. I only, this thing is five feet wide. Mm -hmm. I only would paint three feet of it and then move it and move it and move it and move it. But I painted the side of his house from the roof, okay? And so I'm, I'm an inventor, okay? I, um, and they, when I was tested, one time I, I had, they threw me in jail, you know, and they found, oh yeah, I had some pot in my system or something like that. And they, they tested me for my intelligence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's terrible that, you know. I haven't finished. Mm -hmm. uh, they tested me for my intelligence. Um, the average person, the score between 85 and 105 on this test. 120 is genius. I scored a 113. I was seven short of being a genius, but I was eight above the average intelligence. So I was kind of surprised at what they told me. I said, well, what does it mean? And they said, uh, well, you will come up with an answer to a problem before most people will. And uh, that has been true all my life. So do you have another question? What changes would you like to see made in terms of addressing homelessness as an issue at the governmental level? That's not something I would really um, want to answer. I haven't even thought about it. Um, you asked me a question earlier about um, street sense. What does street sense do for you or whatever? And at this point, nothing, all right? Um, I have the, the paper. I can sell some of them, but, you know, nobody's buying them these days. I mean, not on Capitol Hill, but when they see me, if I have a paper, um, I did well one day, okay, maybe two days. And then the next day I come out there, I got 10 papers, and I maybe sold one or two, okay? It's not like the old days, mm -hmm. and I don't really need it anymore because I get Social Security benefits. And I've had that for the last three years, maybe four or five, 
you know, since I, gosh, I guess I was, I'm 68 now, okay? So I think I started, I can get it at 65, but I believe when I was 63 years old is when I started getting my social, I started collecting my social security benefits. Mm -hmm. And I was surprised at how much they were giving me. I'm getting twice as much as my older sister. But then again, you know, um, I've done things that are far more complex. Mm -hmm. And my younger sister I only put in 18 and a half, maybe 18 years of biomedical engineering, and I haven't done that in 25 years. Well, it depends on it. Really depends on how much you make a, a year yearly, because I'm you're one year older than me. Mm -hmm. Well, I actually, made, I was I made about oh between me and my wife, we made about fifty thousand uh, dollars. One of the years we were together when I was at UCLA. Uh, so. Anyway, uh, that's when I stopped picking up pennies. I make too many million of them. <laughs> Five million pennies and $50,000. There aren't any changes you can think of um, that you, you, know, you would like to see change? I mean, because you've been homeless how many times? And I would think I've been homeless too many times over even before I had children and after I had mm. children, so it's not something that I even give a, give a thought to. What I, I, I the, the thing that I, I've given a thought to is the fact that it sh that on a governmental level, no person should ever be without a home, or should be, or, because they go into a hardship. Um, when you you're an, you're an individual, you put yourself out there. You know, I've been working since I was 14 years old. That does not make sense for me not to have a home. I contributed to the society more ways than I can even tell you. And <clears throat> to be end up homeless numerous times, I mean, I think the government has a responsibility to make sure that people never be homeless, especially black folks. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know. I hear what you're saying, but it's not something I've even given a thought to. Yeah, okay, well, all right. Okay, well, thank you very much, comrade, and it was, you know, wonderful that you came here and then answered some of the questions.